The following is a special presentation of the Buccaneers Sports Network. This is the Jay and Keith Show. Two broadcasters, two microphones, and one meticulously scripted podcast. You what? Just kidding. Get it, J.K.? You get it. That's what I thought was so funny. It's not funny. Alongside Keith Brake, here's the voice of the Bucks, Jay Sandoz. All right, it's a Friday. We're talking ETSU basketball. May touch on a little bit of recruiting for football, but it is ETSU men. They are going to take on the Mercer Bears. We'll talk about a historic night Jordan King had and some of that numbers that he put up and the clubs he's joined and rarefied rare air rarefied rare air. Yep, yeah. Keith is here for the English portion of the show. English minor, yes. Uh, I'm here just to uh, try to act like I know big words. And I'm going to tie in a little Courtney Pegram tie to this as well that I think uh, some Buck fans will remember, uh, even though Courtney was uh, 38, not 40. But we will talk about the uh, similarities that uh, – I was thinking about driving back from Charleston, South Carolina on that. We'll talk women's basketball. Uh, I think I've got a fix uh, for that team and what they can do to knock off the Sanford Bulldogs. I'll get Keith Briggs' take on that. And uh, we'll talk about not just the two-game slide, but obviously a big game, uh, ETSU in Freedom Hall, doubleheader, 1 o'clock Sanford on the women's side, 4 o'clock on the men's side. And we'll touch a little bit on a big recruiting weekend for ETSU football. So, big jam-packed show. Mm -hmm. Keith, how are you, buddy? Uh, <laughs> that's a loaded question. Uh, 2023 has not been off to a good start for me. It just, it just hasn't. Um, I thought I had uh, a deal on my house in Fargo that fell through. Uh, then I had a health scare where I thought I might be having a heart issue and it turned out it was just like a strained peck and acute heartburn, um, which is not what I expected it to be, but hey, that's treatable. And then this morning, uh, I found about a dozen shingles from my roof in my front yard. So that's great. I'd like to backtrack. Um, how does one uh, hurt a peck for two guys that don't work out? How, how, how does I don't that happen? know how it happened. I, Bruce told me it's uh, that to, to tell people that I was wrestling an animal. So I guess, yeah, I was fighting a coyote in my front yard. And then we got up on the roof, and the coyote knocked some shingles off the roof, and that's how... There are shingles in the front yard. That sure. is a much better story than what you just said. It's a better, it's a way better story, but it's a complete fabrication. Sometimes the best stories are fabrications. So that's what fiction is for. Like Daniel Boone killing a bear with his hands. Yeah. I mean, I've never let the truth get away with a good story. We all know that. Yeah. I'm, I am technically, I am technically related to Daniel Boone, so I can get away with, with making fun of that. So. The Daniel Anybody Boone or a, or a Daniel Boone? I am Daniel Boone's eighth grandnephew. It's the Daniel Boone. I traced it all the way back to Squire, his dad. I feel like that's a different podcast, but I feel like we need to deep dive into that <laughs> at some point. Yeah, yeah. That Some of those you trust, like some of those websites you trust and some of them you don't. Like the ones that tell you that you're related to Alfred the Great or, um, you know, like Henry VIII. Well, I guess Henry VIII is viable for a lot of people because Henry VIII was kind of an adventurous individual. So... Uh, but yeah, no, I, I am uh, eighth grand nephew of Daniel Boone. Okay, all right. Things you didn't know that you were going to know today. Da 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 da. All right, all right. Let's start with uh, Jordan King historic night. I I think obviously coming off the O for nine, O for four from three, forty two points, fourteen of nineteen shooting, eight triples on eight of twelve, seven steals. 
There's an elite group. Only 10th time in ETSU history, 40 points or more have been eclipsed. Just the sixth player to do it. Um, the last time a player did it was TJ Cromer back in the 2017 uh, Southern Finals. Yeah. Right against Sanford, if yes. I'm not mistaken. Correct. Before that, the last guy to do 42 was D'Amico Childress on senior day, February 16, 2000. I was in the building for that. That was uh, a dome record. Uh, that was also the most free throws made in a game in the Dome. So, uh, first thing Miko texted me back when I said that, you know, King had joined him at 42, his first response was, well, it wasn't in the Dome. <laughs> I-, I have no idea what that meant at first, and then I realized he's concerned about his Dome records. So, his I Dome records are safe. Will, that one will hold up for a good long while. Forever, probably. That one will hold up probably as long as there's a Dome. Unless something were to take out Freedom Hall and you had to play back in – the the dome that's that's pretty much gonna gonna stay put and before Miko in 2000 did it you're going all the way back to the early 60s when it was Tom Chilton Chilton yes. the only um, not just two time uh, on the 40 point club but the five time member of yes, the 40 point club yes he has five of the 10 40 point games in school history and uh, only two guys have done it since 1961 when Chilton did it and uh, got his uh, all american honors Converse All American honors. So, um, so yeah, it's been it's this is historic. Um, and King did it a lot of different ways. He had the mid range game going. He hit his signature three point shots. He made eight threes in the game. Uh, but also defensively, I mean, seven steals is a ton. That is the nineteenth seven plus steal game in ETSU history. Uh, so, I mean, this is. It's not just the offensive side of it, the scoring side of it, where he gets the mid-range jumper, he gets the three, he gets to the basket, he gets to the free throw line, does a lot of different things, a lot of different ways, uh, but he was being a disruptive player defensively as well, jumping in the passing lanes, tipping the ball away, knocking it out and getting the ball loose and just you know, stripping it right off a of guy sometimes, generating steals generating opportunities for the team to score and then cashing those opportunities in. That is the best game that Jordan King has played. And I, I you know, I don't know that it will be the best game he's ever played as a Buccaneer by the time he's, his career here is done, but it's going to be awfully high up there on the list. Well, two more things on that, and then we're going to talk a little bit more about what this means maybe for Jordan going forward. And then there was some other guys that got lost in the mix that I thought had outstanding games for ETSU. Fourth Division One player since 2010-11 to have at least 40 points and seven steals in a game. And then that was looked up by our, our very own Kevin Browns who were driving back. But yes. then um, a website that uh, – and I'm drawing a blank on the, the website. Analyst, the Analyst, I believe it is. Okay. They the, had the tweet. They did the deep dive. I don't know if they were the first to do it. But Jordan King is the only – NBA, WNBA, Division I men's or women's player in the last 20 years to have 40 or more points, to go with seven or more steals, to go with seven or more threes in a game. The only player, women's college basketball, men's college basketball, WNBA, NBA, the only one in 20 years. If that doesn't impress somebody. Then what will? Yeah, seriously. I mean, like it was already like okay, four four times that's happened since twenty ten eleven. Then you add in the number of three shot 
Mm. And in college, that dropped tremendously. And then you go to the pros, and all of a sudden you're like, oof, yeah, that's that's a day. He had a day yeah. that that will that has not been topped by anybody in 20 years at any level of either major college basketball or professional basketball. Yes, it was uh, OptiStats had it. Um, Good for which, OptiStats. Yeah, which is the owner. Opta is the owner of the analyst, which is where Craig Haley writes and where the FCS Top 25 comes from. All right, our, our good buddy Craig. Yes. Um. Okay, now let's... You say that like it's dripping with endearment there. <sighs> All Southern Conference fans love Craig. Um, <laughs> I've had Craig on a couple times. I think he's fine. I have no problem. I like prob- Craig. I have no problem I, I like with Craig. Craig. Yeah. Um, other than sometimes his takes. Uh, so that being said, um, Jordan King outstanding game and it started me while we're driving you know two and a half hours till we pulled over and got a hotel on the way home after the game at uh charleston i thought boy i I think i remember something like this similar where a guy came off a a a bad game and then went bonkers and the more i thought about more i was thinking i think maybe it was courtney pegram so as soon as i got back in the office first thing i did i looked up courtney pegram's 10 made three game which is a little apropos because coming up is Mercer, which is who Courtney Pegram had this game against. But Courtney Pegram had a four-game stretch, which I did not remember it being this long. He shot 21% from the floor, 10 for 46 from the field, two of 21 in a four-game stretch from three. He went 0 for 3, 0 for 5, 1 for 7. Uh, actually, I'm sorry, he went 1 for 6, then 0 for 3, 0 for 5, 1 for 7. So... He had a stretch of over 10 missed threes in a row. The fan base actually pulled together, and one of the greatest, I thought, buck coups they've ever done is a fan base in which they all got together and making posts about on social media, called in the radio stations, hey, let's all make signs. Let's tell CP we're with them. He had three games where he had single digits. He only had like yeah. nine in his career, and he had three consecutive, or three out of four games, I should say, Single digits. Got out of the starting lineup, for goodness sakes. And this is coming off the tournament team that that, that just, you know, uh, had in the last four minutes of the game against Pittsburgh was tied. Number one team, the number one overall seed. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Courtney Pegram comes out, hits 13 field goals, hits 10 threes, breaks the, at that time, the school record. Of course, Pat Good's passed it since then. But it came off where a guy who had not played well had a horrific stretch and luck. And now Jordan King didn't have quite the stretch Courtney did three or four games. And some could argue Jordan's not on Courtney Pegram's level yet either. So there's a lot to to go there. But my point was I've seen where ETSU has had talented scores that just hit a lull where something didn't go right. And then when they bounced back, boy, did they bounce back. Because Courtney Pegram had that 38. Then all of a sudden, the team went on a win streak. They finished a game out of first. That was the weird A-Sun where four teams tied for first. ETSU was technically the second-place team because it was a four-way tie, so they were the fifth seed. Yes. They end up playing the sixth seed, Mercer, and then going to the NCAA tournament that year where they played Kentucky, who had the six first-round draft picks or whatever. But it, it launched. Now, I'm not saying – am I predicting now that ETSU is on this path to go to the NCAA tournament? Uh, no, I'm not, but – I think the similarities between what Courtney went through and what Jordan went through, I think, are there. The the Mercer Kentucky year was the year after Courtney graduated. That was uh was that Michael Williams and Justin Tubbs 
leading. Oh, that so charge. was that the Kentucky year? That but, was uh, the Kentucky year. Yeah, because oh, uh, C- CP was Pitt. No, that the uh, Kentucky was 0-9-10. Yeah, okay, that was so, my first year. Okay, so oh eight oh nine was Pitt. Okay, so oh eight oh nine. So that would have been Courtney's thirty eight. Was the oh eight oh nine year? Yes. Okay. So they went to Pitt. So it was the year they went to Pitt. So they caught fire. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, towards the end of that season. Yes, they did. Uh, they they beat Kennesaw by 35. They beat Mercer by 22. Uh, then won uh, all three it's tournament the, games by double digits. Yeah, they trounced Jacksonville in the championship game, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, they did. Yeah. 85-68. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So, you got ETSU, uh, again, Corey, I, am I predicting that? No. Uh, I'm just saying the similarities between – Pegram kind of going through his struggles, and then and then Jordan kind of going through the struggles, and then him having that. Now, going back to a, a broader look, and Jaden Seymour last two or three games, I think has turned a tremendous quarter. Um, Agreed on rebounding, changing the game. Josh Taylor, uh, it was a career high for Seymour, thirteen points, lost in a shuffle because you know forty two was on the board, but he had a career high thirteen points. Uh, Josh Taylor coming back, what he's able to do defensively, he added 13 points, getting Brock Jancic back. And, again, I don't know what it is. I don't know how to explain it, but they just looked different with everyone on the floor. And it was evident from the start of the game. They didn't give up a offensive rebound until the 12-minute mark. Now they give up 10 for the rest of the last 12 minutes, and I don't think that was particularly great. But I thought they were locked in defensively. I thought they did an excellent job on Ash, who had to work hard and hit some very, which he's good at, hitting very awkward-looking, running, leg-out three shots that I don't even know how to describe um, because they are just awkward. But, you know, some players are good at those, and he happens to have a knack for hitting awkward shots, and that's his game, and very good at it. But I thought the Bucks did a great job defensively on him. I thought they were great on the glass for the most part. Forced a lot of turnovers, and the energy level was there. When everyone's there, it's just a different feel I think defensively and rebounding. And I thought Jordan did a nice job because out of the 42, he had 10 first-half points. And he had chances to fire Jordan King-type shots in the first half that he passed on. And he was able to get the ball back, hit mid-range jumpers. I got in a little bit of a rhythm. Then he got a couple of late shot clock threes to go down. And then all of a sudden it was like the green light went off in his head and was like, this is going to be one of those days. And it turned out to be one of those days. Yes. But I thought ETSU, again, just looked different. And they're very good on the road. Uh, they, they look way more comfortable on the road for whatever reason. Can they carry the momentum to Mercer? Not sure. But they just look different and play different with everybody there. And before you say, well, it was the Citadel, and you roll your eyes and say, well, they're talking about, you know, a team that's not going to be that good. Chattanooga lost in Charleston uh at the beginning of the 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 conference schedule so i mean they lost they lost by eight points they were down for most of that game i think they were down pretty much the whole second half despite the fact that jake stevens had 20 and 11 uh they lost that game to the citadel so this is a team that is capable when you go to their place of winning games where weird stuff happens they i mean they scored 76 against chattanooga and Chattanooga just didn't have any help for Stevens and Jamal Johnson. The This team looks great when everybody's out there. And I thought, to your point, Seymour really looked strong. I was very pleased to see Josh Taylor get 13-6 and six in his first game back out of concussion protocol. Didn't look like he had missed a beat from the amount of time that he had missed. And... 
was really, really solid in a, you know a lot of facets of the game. He got a block shot. Um, he didn't do a whole lot in terms of uh, foul trouble. He played 28 and a half minutes of the game. Uh, that's something that ETSU is going to need from him going forward. And I think particularly when Taylor is out there and you've got at least seven of the eight, then this team is what it can be. Now, the question is, okay, what happens the next time stuff hits the fan? What happens the next time Brock Jancic has to miss multiple games and Braden Illick has to play an extra five, six minutes and uh, Jamarius Harrison has to play, you know, an extra five, six minutes or they have to patchwork it together to get that eighth guy in the rotation. What happens when Seymour gets hurt? What happens when something happens to Tipler uh, because he's already been hurt once this year? I mean, I'm, I'm rattling off guys that have already missed time. Seymour missed time with a concussion. Taylor missed time with a concussion. Jancic missed time with an ankle. Uh, and uh, um, Tipler missed time with an ankle. So all of the guys that I just met, mentioned have missed games for the Bucks this year. Uh, what happens when those guys miss more time? What happens when Jalen Haynes gets hurt? Because Haynes plays a very physical and kind of, you know, live by the sword, die by the sword, offensive style of basketball. He has been on the floor in awkward positions more than once this year. What happens when he gets hurt? What happens when King gets hurt? Uh, how does this team respond to adversity the next time the group loses somebody for an extended period of time, being you know as little as two games could be an extended period of time? Uh, what happens when the group loses somebody again, but they have a little bit of momentum, which I think they will have after they beat Mercer on Saturday? Because I think they're going to beat Mercer on Saturday based on the way they played against the Citadel on Wednesday. What happens What happens next time? Because you know it's going to happen again. Because it's just one of those seasons where injury luck is not on ETSU's side. Uh, it's one of those seasons where, you know, the, the depth guys that they would go to, their Illix and their Gregories are super, super young and might not be ready to be thrown in the deep end. What do you do the next time adversity strikes? How does this team respond? I think that's the real challenge because when everything is clicking, they look great, but it's easy to look great when everything is exactly right. I'll be curious this game coming up to see if ETSU can get off the schneid at home and break the longest losing streak since 96-97 at home. Oh, and, and speaking of schneid, the Mercer Bears, and I love Greg Gary. I got a great relationship with him, but – you you want the nugget? I, I looked at I looked this up earlier today. They're the oh, oh, zero and five yeah. to start conference play. I'm gonna write this down. Go. for the first time since the ninety seven ninety eight season. Zero oh and five. There you go. Write that one down. Since ninety. In the word, I believe it was George Strait said, "Write this down. Make a little note." I wonder who the coach was in that. Uh, that was um, Sloniker. It was Mark Sloniker? Okay. I believe it was Mark Sloniker. I wonder yeah. if that was the early Slonny days. But e either way, wow. So ETSU's trying to break something since 96-97, and Mercer's trying to stop something since 97-98. Yes. And I will say, for Buck fans probably know, Mercer's only won three of the last 14 meetings. But two of those, two of the last three have been in Johnson City. Right, exactly. Two of the last three wins in, in Freedom Hall. Um, and it's it's a team that just you 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 want to tear your hair out when they come in here and give you a tight game like they have the last couple of times. But I think it's a very beatable team. 
Um, it's not it's not like Merce or, or not like uh, Furman or Western where they're going to shoot a ton of threes. Uh, they average the fewest made threes per game in the SoCon, and they attempt the fewest threes per game in the SoCon by a lot. Uh, I think they just now cleared 300 made or attempted threes uh, this season in their last game. So they don't shoot a lot of threes. Where most of the conference is over 400, ETSU is over 350, and they don't take a lot of them. So this is a yeah, this is a, a long, long time. Um, that ETSU has been waiting, I think, for an opportunity like this one to just come out on the floor at home and dominate a team. I mean, people forget out of the 30-4 and four year, one of those losses was in Freedom Hall to Mercer. Yeah. <laughs> think yeah. about that. That was uh, – ETSU had one home loss. Yeah. They were 16-1 and one that year, and yes. that was the, – the home loss was uh, Greg Gary's first year, 1920, and they were able to pick up a win. I think the one thing about Mercer, too – that uh, and some and some of this is they played I think twelve thirteen games without Shannon Grant the big fella down low they also played um, James Glisson the third who's another talented player he missed eleven so the first part of the season they had a lot of guys you've not heard of you know new players whether transfers or freshmen or whatever it may be and I thought maybe getting those guys back would change some of that but yeah. that's really been it, it really hasn't. Um, and I know Grant had his best game uh, against Furman uh, a few nights ago with 16 points and in double figures. And they also got the seven foot two South African from Macaulay School there, Chattanooga. That um, uh, David Craig that did not play last game. Yeah, so, and then you you turn it around and McCreary gets shut out in a game. Uh, yeah, 0 for and, six and shooting, he, which was odd. And he scores eight the game before that. So I mean, it's just it's. They're playing whack-a-mole right now, kind of like ETSU, is how does this team respond to adversity? Uh, and they have not responded to it with wins. So uh, they, they're certainly, they got their backs against the wall. You go to 0-6, I mean, we're talking about um, the, the the worst start to so, to uh, play. I mean, oh golly, I'd have to go back. One, two, three, four, five, six. Was Centenary in the A-Sun in 98? Uh, yes. Okay, so it would it would match the the longest. That was uh, that was the Transatlantic, which is still the A Sun before they changed the name, but the old Transatlantic Conference, College yes. of Charleston, all those was in there. Yeah. Yeah, I remember Centenary was in the Summit League for a little bit before they went to Division Three, but I couldn't remember if they were in the A Sun or not before that. Uh, so yeah, uh, they lost. What did I just say? Six straight to start Mark Sloniker's first year, and. Losing six straight now, 25 years later, that'd be tough. That'd be tough to say. I mean, and listen, again, I, I so like. So I expect them to come out swinging. Love Greg Gary. I had a great relationship with Hoffman, which everyone hated but me, apparently. So um, but to get rid of Bob and to fall where they've fallen, I, I, I think is definitely. Definitely going to be a tough pill to swallow for the Mercer faithful because they have pumped a lot of money into not just athletics, but uh, basketball specifically and all the upgrades to the arena and everything else. Yeah, so. Hawkins Arena is a solid facility. Uh, it's, a, it's a good video. I mean, they got the big Jumbotron scoreboard in the middle and all that. Uh, they hosted the tournament uh, when we were in the A-Sun a couple of times. That, I think it's a, it's a good facility. It's a good setup. And it has not paid off. I'm glad you brought up Centenary because uh, this is under the did you know that Greg Gary was the head coach sitting there for two years. Oh, wow. Yeah, so it all comes full circle. Look wow. At Look at that. Look at all the stuff you get on the Jay and Keith podcast. Ka 
Ciao. Boom. All right. So four o'clock men's. It'll be three thirty. We'll finish the post game, and it might be a little earlier. We'll just have to see how the post game pregame show. Basically, once we take the airways at twelve thirty, we will be with you up until like six thirty. It's going to be all Jay and Keith and smattering of Bruce in there somewhere. So. It's going to be a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff. All right, so that is a look at the men's side of things. Why do I feel like we use the same bumper, the same hip-hop bumper every time? You have another one over there. I do have another one over there. You do have another one over there. I'll use it when we go to the next one. Does that make me feel better? Yeah, actually it does. I kind of like the way this hits right here. That's fair. That's not bad. No, that's not. That's. I mean, it's. It's not bad. I'm just saying we use it a lot. Yeah, you hate it. That's we right. have options. Yeah, right. All right, let's talk women's basketball. And no, if I hated it, you would know. What? Yes, because I would tell you. I don't know. I feel like you'd lie. No, I know you would. All right, uh, women's basketball and the Mercerers came hey. in, and boy, they got off to a quick start. And ETSU was able to not just claw back into it because they were down 15 early in the first quarter, claw back into it, actually take the lead. But a 12-1 run, I think it was, in the third quarter, ended up pushing the league back to double digits, and the Mercer Bears. Yeah. And Neil Tyser was unbelievable. Uh, for her squad on top of a career high for Haupt, who t- 13 of 14 front. So you saw the rare miss, uh, and I blame yes. Bruce because Bruce had just talked about, you know, the the greatness of it, which she is. Attaboy, so Bruce. She's missed two free throws in like 60 attempts or something crazy, yeah. like 50, yep. 58 of 60 or 59 of 61 now, something incredible. But between Neil Tice, who had to sit out the whole second quarter yes. and had nine first quarter and third quarter points, and she still was finished incredible. with like 23 yeah, in the game. Yeah, was great. And I thought this is the one time where ETSU's been really, really good on the glass, struggled on the glass with the size – of Mercer, but the other thing is, I think teams, and this is where I was going to pitch this to you, teams. I think the word is out, and when uh, Neve Brown gets the ball, they are just backing up. Especially when she's beyond the arc, they are just do what you want to do. She has won for her last seventeen from three. Yeah, last six games. Yeah, and th- when she starts to attack, they play defense. But when she wanted to shoot a three yesterday, there was nobody coming up there with high hands. There was nobody challenging whatsoever. And Neve, who normally takes like two, three threes a game, mm-hmm. took seven last game. And I think that's by design. And I noticed – I thought I saw Chattanooga do it, but I wasn't I wasn't pot committed to that was the game plan. But I think the book is pack it in on Neve when she tries to drive. And, and you know, she drives pull-up jumper. That's her game off the dribble. I think they try to defend that very well. But when she's out there beyond the arc, I think their teams are just going to say, when you hit a couple, we'll come get you. But until then, shoot shoot away. I think they're packing the paint on this whole team because the drive and kick became such a valuable component of their offense. Um, you know, Giselle Thomas would get inside. Kendall Foley would get down there. Uh, Neve would get down there. And they kick it out to Courtney Moore in the corner. They kick it out to Journey McDaniel in the corner. Journey wasn't shooting at a super high percentage. But uh, they kick it out to players in the corners who would just – Sit there and wait for the catch-and-shoot three, and uh, teams have started to adapt to that, and, and I think um, some of it is players have to make adjustments and and execute because I talked to Mock after the game last night, and she said, 
we got a lot of the shots that we wanted. Neve got a lot of shots that she wanted, a lot of the two-point looks that she wanted. She just didn't hit them. And that's really what it boiled down to is ETSU got good shots and couldn't capitalize. And if you don't do that, well, you won't beat a team like Mercer, which is going to hit shots. They will hit, even if it's like a 55-45 look in their favor, um, with a hand in their face or whatever, Neil Tyser's going to hit it. Uh, Evans, who didn't play very much, she's going to hit it. Uh, Angelina Gonzalez, their freshman from Miami, yeah, great is going to be really, really good. Like, I knew based on her background, like, she, you know, two-time 2A state player of the year in Florida, two-time state champion, but you just knew, like, this, okay, this 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 kid's going to be pretty good, and you see the speed and the active hands and the, the good sense of when, when and where to pass the ball, and she's going to be really good. Um, ETSU just got outplayed. They got out-executed uh, on both ends of the floor, and that hasn't happened very often. And it certainly has not happened in a situation where they've lost. This is the first time they've lost consecutive games this year. They're 0-2 to start SoCon. They've lost two games that I think you and I both felt were winnable games for them at home. How do they bounce back? How do they respond to that? Um, Saturday, it's a little early in the season to call it a must-win. But it really feels like a game that the Bucks need to rally and find a way to get a dub on the big stage at Freedom Hall Saturday afternoon. Because if you don't, and you start SoCon play 0-3, and, and now you only have four home games left, you're wondering, when's that win going to come? And it's not going to be easy against the Bulldogs, but you start to wonder when that win's going to come. You know, I thought early, and... I know Coach Mock, I think, is defending her kids, but early I thought ETSU took a lot of bad shots in that first quarter. A lot of quick shots, a lot of contest shots. Didn't run a lot of offense. And I, yeah. Just watching her reaction, too. And then I thought in the second quarter, with Neil Tyser was out of the game, uh, Summer Evans was out of the game as well, ETSU was able to get a lot more flow, was able to kind of claw back into it. They ran some of that offense, and then I felt like when when the pressure got turned up with – and not pressure like, you know, full court, you know, in-your-face type pressure for Mercer, but when they were going on that 12-1 run, I thought ETSU got sped up again. And I think maybe this is where ETSU had some success and everything was rolling for them early, and now they've had a little bit of conference play, which is a little bit more slugfest, a little bit more people know, more personnel – Games just feel different when you get in the league, and I think they've kind of slopped around. And for Chat and Mercer, they were able to impose their will and get their style of game to be played against ETSU, as opposed to the Bucks. Really, what they've been doing and dictating a lot of that. So we'll just have to see how it goes against Sanford because that is a very well-oiled machine under Carly Coons. They're going to be able to have their. Um, uh, uh, um, the Princeton style system where it's going to be layups and threes you really have to defend the backdoor cut you've got to be connected defensively which I thought Mercer did a great job yep. of last couple games they've been connected the other four games and I watched some of those even the Anderson game like they just looked out of whack defensively but 
Western and, and Western can cure all, and I say that, and they go out and beat Wofford yesterday on the women's side. But, yeah, how about that? But they got connected defensively against Western Carolina, and they were really, I thought, in sync against ETSU as well. Well, here, I, I got Muck's post-game interview right here. It's not particularly long, so I think we can listen to the whole thing if you want. Uh, and uh, well, we'll just I just asked her, how'd you see it unfold as uh, the Bears were able to build up a big lead back at the end? Well, they outplayed us, Keith. You know, they outplayed us. They out-executed us. Um, you know, I thought we had a great little run there in the second quarter, but that's about all we did, you know. And I, I will say I thought we got some pretty good looks on offense too, and we didn't knock them down. But we weren't getting our second shots. You know, Jayla Rufus-Milner was down there battling uh, as she normally does, uh, but she was really the only one that was getting a, a whole lot of offensive rebounds. You know, she got four. Uh, Neve Brown with two. You know, Ja'Kaya, when she was in, she got three. And then it's, you know, we didn't have the perimeter rebounding getting in there. We were kind of just sliding back and letting her go it alone. Well, there, you know, Brittany Reeves is 6'5". You know, she's going to get those. So, usually what we have is Jayla kind of pushing back and then somebody else comes and gets it, you know. And so, uh, we were we were missing that. You know, I felt like Neve Brown got a lot of good looks and just didn't knock them down. You know, she was really the one that had the better matchup tonight. And, um and we didn't hit. And then, you know, defensively, the fouling, as you just saw there at the end. Um, you know, obviously, uh, it was officiated very c- kind of tightly there, you know. Um, and so we got to be able to adjust. And so I just, you know, I this is where we are. And I, that's what I told the team. You know, Keith, we're, we started out great, but we also played a not too difficult of a schedule. Right. You know, and I've said that all along. We are who we are. We're still in process. I got here in August. Uh, you know, it's it's could be surprising, but it's really not. You know, we just got to get better every day and focus on that. You know, that's that's got to be our goal. Yeah, and that's Coach Mock. Their post game said they outplayed us, but thought Neve Brown had a good matchup and just didn't knock down the shots. And um, there were some times where maybe they didn't get the looks they wanted, but overall, it's just it's a matter of execution, offensively and defensively. And she wasn't happy with it. And uh, I don't think the team was happy with it. And I certainly look forward to a very high-energy practice at Freedom Hall this afternoon. Yeah, and I'm curious to see how that plays. Uh, ETSU women haven't played in there, I believe, since the Tennessee game. This group has never played in there. I will be just, just see that, you know, I, I'm hoping fans uh, come out and just en- enjoy an all-day basketball or at least second half able to come in there and make a lot of noise and give this team – a lot of support, which they've been able to do in Brooks Gym. The band will be there, so there'll be a little bit extra juice for the for the women. They'll have a intro video on the Jumbotron to thank. So it'll be a bit of a different feel for ETSU, but I hope that they make Freedom Hall their own because I think this is, even though they've struggled, after watching a lot of Southern Conference, I mean, this is not as cut and dry as I thought it was earlier in the season of Mercer and everybody else. And I don't see right this second a dominant Southern Conference team. So ETSU could still make a run, but they've got to do so against Sanford. Now, again, Mm -hmm. long season, but when you play four less games than they do in the men, right, 14 conference games as opposed to 18, all these start to mount up, especially if you open the year 0-3 at home. And I don't want to put a lot of pressure by saying a must-win, but this is definitely a must-right-the-ship game for ETSU on the women's side. Hashtag expand the SoCon. Amen to that, man. Yeah. I don't know who I need to talk to. Four, 14 conference games in this day and age is just not sustainable. And I think if you ask, there are a couple other sports that would like to see the Southern Conference expand as well. Probably men's soccer, I would say, would probably be one uh, in particular because they've only got six teams since Belmont left to join the Missouri Valley. That would 
That would uh, be softball, baseball would both like to expand. Yes. And uh, foot. Oh, yeah, football would also like that. Well, unless you talk to the some of the quote-unquote football schools because, you know, <laughs> you got to have the perfect symmetrical <laughs> schedule and sure. play everybody. But Sure, Jan. I would love. You would love. I don't know if we're going to solve that today, but. One day we should just, like, put some teams on a board and do, like, a hierarchy, I think. And just call it the Jay and Keith rankings, so that way nobody thinks we have, like, uh, you know. Any sort of inside Right, right. You know? we just, we'll have our tier ones, our tier twos, and then, uh, okay, fine, we'll take these guys. Yeah. I wonder how those schools feel about that when we get there. <laughs> You know what? Well, when the when the tier three schools join the SoCon in five years, you no, know, no, it, I'm, it, kidding. I'm kidding. It, it's kind of like when I'm the last guy of the party and there's seven girls, and they're like, "Oh God, we'll take the chubby one." I mean, somebody's got to, right? And it's it's uh, that's why a lot of people ask me, Keith. You'll enjoy I'll this you dating that. dating tips from Jay, right? Uh, yes, the man who's been married for what fifteen years? Uh, no, absolutely not. Now you gotta make me do math, Keith. Uh, you should be 13. able to do, you should be able to do math on your marriage. Thirteen years. Okay. Oh, nine. 12. It'll be 13 in May. See, look at me. I know, wow. I know where I'm at. I thought you'd been married a lot longer than that. No, I started dating in 05. Didn't get married to 09. Oh, okay. So there you go. You, you were there for the for you know the courtship, if you will, all that good stuff. So. All yes, right, let, the uh, light courting, yes. So here was the deal. In college, or right out of college, I threw a lot of parties, and a lot of people were like, guys would come up to me and say, or the girls, come, why, why, why were there, where are all the guys at? And that was my game plan. Oh, well, my God. I mean, if I had, you know... 15 ladies and you had seven guys i mean percentages at some point last guy standing did, but the plan backfires when they're just like there's no guys here and they just leave i mean that's that's one hole <laughs> the other is it it's still that's kind of a big one the other one is it's still me i thought that would be the bigger one but <laughs> all right that's enough dating tips with jay but yes that was my game plan if you, if you have more ladies than guys and the chances are you know yeah you never know you never know you never know anyways do you want to talk about football now? Do I do want to talk. Football? I do want to talk. What, which bump? You, what, uh, here we go. Here we go. Here's the other bumper. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. This is way too calm for the football thing. But smooth though. I like it. It's a smooth transition. It's the off season. We're vibing into January on the recruiting trail. That's what we're doing. <sighs> All right. Obviously, we can't name names, but this is the next couple weekends three weekends will be huge on the recruiting front i do know that last weekend they had one transfer in that uh again it's one of those not signed so we can't specifically talk about uh, people coming not coming to campus but did have a cornerback that did agree in principle verbally that will be here when the semester starts and we'll enroll and be ready to go that being said, this weekend coming up is huge because there are a couple of transfers that would be eligible to start January 17th, Tuesday coming up. Yes. Um, and defensive lineman, inside linebacker, one coming from Power 5, one coming from a JUCO rank, but would have an opportunity to get those guys enrolled. Other uh, two freshman defensive linemen and freshman running back all coming on visits. Certainly ETSU, uh, conscious effort, and we'll talk about the next weekend here in just a second on who is scheduled to come. And, again, always subject to change. There's also another defensive lineman at the FCS level 
that they're trying to get worked out to come into. So what are you hearing, Keith? I said transfer defensive lineman, a one uh, – now that's from a power five, a transfer defensive lineman from the FCS level, mm-hmm. and then a inside linebacker at the junior college level. Those are all defensive, right? Yes. Thank the sweet Lord because this defense is thin. Um, it, it has been thin, and, you know, they, they, they have needed – they sorely needed depth – at a multitude of positions last year, we knew they needed D line help. We knew they needed linebacker help. Um, you know, they they're obviously going to need a number of corners because, honestly, it feels like most of that room left. I, I who who even is left from that group? Uh, I can't even remember off the top of my head. So well, did, I mean, Max Evans would would be the, the outside linebackers and the safeties are almost all intact. You lose Jalen Porter to the draft. Yes. Um, but you, you still have um, DeAndre Davis. Yes. Uh, you still have Jay Harrison for another year. Yep. You still got uh, uh, Zach West. So the outside linebackers, are, you have uh, Hope, Chris Hope, and Sheldon Arnold would be the two safeties. And other than that, mm-hmm. you, know, you know, Max Evans, and I mean, Davion Hood. Yes. So, so you've got two-thirds, but Max Evans played out of position, should be a, a tackle, not a nose guard. So they would like to, to move the – but they're still th- – and an inside linebacker, Stephen Scott. Uh, and Stephen Scott is still forgot. Stephen's going to have, I think, uh, have offseason surgery. So you would have Stephen will be a start if Stephen's mm-hmm. healthy. You have a known commodity in him. Then you got what Cameron Garnett, uh, Eric Campbell. Campbell, who should be moved back to the outside. And if if all things are equal, Campbell would go. Maybe take uh, Jalen Porter's spot, go back to the outside where he – and then, again, solid special teams guy, get some third down reps at outside linebacker. That's where Eric Campbell should be. He should not be on the – and I think Eric knows he's not an inside linebacker. He just kind of filled the role. So, uh, much needed uh, inside linebacker, Juco coming in. And, again, the defensive line, which was thin. And if they got four D-line, five D-line transfers or three, four D-line transfers and three – four high school kids that maybe one of them's big enough to get, you know, 20 plays a game, 15 snaps a play uh, a game, I mean, I, I, I would be fine with that too because right now they've relied on five defensive linemen pretty much the whole year for the last two or three years, and they need more. And you need at least – I think you need at least seven, honestly. Uh, it, well, and you, I'm not even counting the recon package. I'm talking you need six yeah. or seven for the normal first, second down or the three-back systems. And, like, and you're it's just there's so much wear and tear – on defensive linemen, especially when you've got three down linemen, typically, in the, in, because somebody is getting double teamed somewhere all the time. Um, you know, obviously, you probably get multiple guys that get double teamed, and then you leave somebody one on one. You really need what I would like to have if I'm putting that defensive line together is they've got the what is it the the stud and then the anchor and then the end. I think, the, I don't bandit. Know, the bandit. The bandit. The stud, rock, and the anchor, rock, and the anchor, bandit. It's, rock. A, it's either it's either R, it's R's and B's, uh, yep. and, and then the anchor is the only one. It's not an RB because the anchor is head up the center. So basically, I thought the bandit was like the rover could have his hand in the dirt, could drop back like defensive end, like the edge guy. I'd have to look at Billy's board again. Basically, the R's are all on one side of the is either on the uh, field side of the. They're all boundary field. Okay, the entire defense flips boundary field depending on where the ball spotted. And yeah. the only person that doesn't is the nose guard, which is the anchor. Yes, the anchor. That's all I, that's all I got for you. you I, want, I want an all-American anchor. 
Like I, the, the rest of the defensive line can be what it is, but you need a real just bona fide stud to be the anchor of that defensive front. That's the that's true of any three four defensive setup. Is if you don't have the nose tackle that can handle multiple gaps on a given play, uh, your defense is going to have a tough time working because. That's how you clear the way for the linebackers to get into the backfield and be disruptive. So that the you know the way that Chandler Martin uh, was able to pile up tackles last year, the way that Donovan Emanuel piled up tackles before he did, the way that whoever plays that position this year is going to be able to pile up tackles. You got to get somebody that's really, really, really good at clearing the way for your linebackers to get into the backfield and being disruptive at the line of scrimmage. And if you don't have that. Um, then you're going to struggle. And if you don't have depth at the other positions, you're going to struggle because you need to be able to rotate those guys on first and second down and have some guys in there for three, four, five snaps at a time. Uh, Because when Samford comes in, they're not going to let you sub. They're going to roll and roll and roll and roll and be super aggressive and high tempo. And you're going to have guys that are going to be gassed and they need to come off the field. They need to spend the whole next defensive series off the field, so you get a whole other set of guys, and you run them out, run them out on there, onto the field, and you let them go. So you need depth, and this team has sorely lacked depth up front. It got exposed for that lack of depth. I think several guys ended the season um, basically spending like 45 minutes in the cold tub, and I wouldn't blame them if they did. Uh, just just sit there and like sink into it, uh, but. Yeah, this team needs defensive line help. It sounds like they're trying to do that. They're being aggressive in the transfer portal. Um, and we'll see what happens with quarterback well, as well. I, good transition because uh, the next weekend, they're going to have a freshman quarterback come in. They're going to have a freshman tight end, freshman offensive line, and two incoming freshman outside linebackers. They will have a couple of transfers. One will be an inside linebacker from a Power 5, and the other is an offensive lineman, uh, FCS level. So a little bit more freshman-oriented, except for yet an inside linebacker that would have an opportunity at the Power 5 level. And again, uh, offensive lineman that has seen some snaps at the FCS level looking for a new home. And then the final weekend right now, just an offensive lineman transfer that's coming in. So, one thing you did not hear is transfer quarterback come in. Correct. And I think because the main target they wanted ended up signing with Kent State, which he's it's out there. You can look that up. And he didn't sign with ETSU, so I don't care if I give away whatever's going on at Kent State. But you can follow that. And so, uh, he ended up coming down to ETSU, Kent State. Ends up going FBS Kent State in the MAC, and congratulations on your three wins or whatever you'll get at Kent State this year. But, you know, that's a choice. Now, ask Coach Corals point blank in the hallway, what's the game plan? And he said, well, I'll tell you what's not going to be the game plan is panic and just take somebody to have somebody. Sure. So, I, as of right now, on the list that I have commandeered from the staff, no transfer quarterback is coming in. Uh, for this recruiting three-week cycle. I think what they're going to do is see what shakes out in the spring because, let's be honest, the one position that um, shakes out the most in the spring is quarterback. 
there are a lot of guys that thought they were vying either to be the starter, don't want to be a backup, or thought they would be in the depth chart, not in the depth chart. That will go in the portal, and so ETSU in the spring will look for portal. Now, somebody asked me, is it out of the question that Tyler Rodell comes back? It is not out of the question that Tyler Rodell will come back. Just like it's not out of the question, everybody else in the portal that's in the portal can come back. Will Huzzy has only taken one visit. I've not seen him commit anywhere. I'm still convinced Will Huzzy come Tuesday will be enrolled in school and a part of the team. That is where I fall on that. Um, now, can guys come back and practice still in the portal? George Corals is not going to allow that. So if he's back practicing, that means he is out of the portal. Right. So – that being said, there are some other guys out there still looking for homes. We'll see what happens. But it's not out of the question that Tyler Rodell and Baron May are your spring quarterbacks. It is probably more likely that Baron May is the only quarterback in the room right now with some walk-ons that were still on the roster. But that being said, that's that's where we are. That's, that's where it is in uh, that's, that's where it is in quarterback. I'm excited because I felt like they filled some – gaps there have been a couple offensive linemen that have been committed um that were transfers that actually uh one saw time one was trying to get some time we can talk about luke slusher that's been announced from western kentucky so luke who is penciled in right now is is fighting to be the starting center yeah and would have three years of eligibility so he has signed we talk about him there was another commit if you pay attention that would be a guard that would saw a lot of time um, and he would be one of the guards that would play. They're still looking for uh, a tackle, maybe even two tackles. See what shakes out from there. Again, a lot of offensive linemen, a lot of defensive linemen. I think that's where ETSU need. besides quarterback. And, again, every time I say most needs, just know if I do not say quarterback, everyone on the planet, ETSU or non-ETSU fan, knows that quarterback is something that needs to be filled. I thought the both lines need to be addressed. After that, I think inside linebacker needs to be addressed. Corners right there with them as well. Again, they got to commit. Um, and again, hopefully Tuesday, once he enrolls in school, we'll be able Tuesday's show. I may spend going to see with our compliance guy Eric and go, "Hey man, who is enrolled? Who do we got? Because if they're enrolled, I can talk about them." The so I'm going to find thing, that out Tuesday. The best thing about being a uh, uh, you know, university podcast is literally the compliance office is right down the hall. If we have a question, we can just go ask. That's right. Uh, we that's can, awesome. We can ask that's, 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 for permission instead is, of forgiveness. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. And uh, although, you know, how much longer the NCAA even exists, if you listen to some of the people that were talking the other night at uh, the uh, the final address of um, um, uh, Mark Emmert uh, and the new uh, NCAA president as well, uh, sounds like some people think that the NCAA is under existential threat, but um, yeah, we we can we can ask permission instead of forgiveness on those things, and they they tend to look more fondly on that in general. Yep, I will uh, Tuesday. I'm gonna have more information. Okay, I'll, I'll give you who who was who was on campus, who's out of the portal. We'll do whatever. So we'll talk a little football recruiting. I didn't touch on. Uh, SoCon basketball big games coming up this week and do a, a full little SoCon, but I will say on the women's side, a couple of games I think are huge besides 
any game involving ETSU. Mercer Chad is going to be big. Yeah, and I think that's big. And will Wofford bounce back after the loss to Western Carolina? <laughs> I think that one. There's only one way to go from there, and that's up. Yeah, on the men's side, there are two I think monster games uh, in the Southern Conference, and one is going to be Chattanooga at Samford, uh-huh. and then the other is UNCG at Furman. I think those two are monster games. Can UNCG continue to put the clamps down on keep people in the 60s and get a big road win in Timmins Arena, which is always tough to win in? And for Chattanooga, you know, they've already got a couple of losses. Will this, you know, and they've struggled on the road. Yes. Will this be their third conference loss? And can Sanford remain the lone unbeaten team in the league? So I think those are the the big games uh, yeah. in the Southern Conference yeah. that, uh, you know, we'll probably be talking about. And, and like we normally do on like a Tuesday, we'll recap kind of where the Southern Conference is, standings, do a full rundown. Now, going back to an oldie but a goodie. It's prediction time. Yes, prediction. Something big. Bold. Sometimes right. I can see the future. Most times wrong. Did that go the way you thought it was going to go? Nope. Never dull. I'm trying to write all this down. This is shocking. Was that bold enough? This is Bold Prediction. Prediction? Pain. All right, I took a few weeks off, so I don't have a whole lot of losses. 9 and 25, and I'm going to start (laughs) with women's basketball, baby. I'm going for the fourth time this season. The women from downtown, seven or more threes inside Freedom Hall, and the long-distance shooting will lead them to the victory. Okay. My second one, I think you're going to like this one. Jalen Haynes, 15 or more points and 10 or more rebounds. Double-double Jalen Haynes with 15 points and 10 or more boards against Mercer. Okay. And the last one, NFL. Three or more road teams will win wildcard weekend. Half the NFL games will go to the road teams as opposed to the home teams. What do you think? What do you got? What do you got? Uh, Fan of those picks? Not a fan? I I wanted to be the jerk and be like, all of those will be off by 10%. But I want ETSU to hit seven threes on Saturday. And I want Haynes to go bonkers against Mercer. So... All right, what, what, give me real quick, what's most likely, least likely out of what I just gave you? Uh, most likely is Haynes, 15 and 10. Okay. Uh, least likely is three road teams win in the NFL wildcard weekend. Yeah, I agree. That's always the the one. But I'm doing it. I'm doing it. I'm going to go with the road dogs. There we go. Bold predictions. I didn't give Keith a heads up. I just basically hit a bumper and said I'm doing bold predictions on mine. Yes, you did. That way I look smart if I win, and I can say Keith ducked out if he lost. So. Well, you, well, I can just give you three losses. The... You didn't give any. Three losses, Keith. You already got it. You already got it. It's okay. That's why I run the show. All right, Jane Keith, be back with you. Uh, Monday's a holiday. Tuesday, we will talk about all kinds of things, including football, who's enrolled, who's not. Southern Conference wrap-up on Jane Keith. Back in the Network. If you choose not to decide, you still have made a choice. Oh, you got to be kidding me.